Hey, it's just about that time. Figure we'll get started here because I know you guys have a lot of exciting things to do other than sit here and listen to me babble. But first, by way of introduction, my name is Brian Jensen. For the next half hour, I know we've got more time than that, but I'll leave time open for questions at the end if you like. We're going to go through a few things about the 3PL landscape and some selection strategies that go both ways. How you, if you're a potential user of a 3PL, can select a 3PL partner, or how a 3PL partner can distinguish themselves in the beauty contest they're so often participating in in order to win a client. There's a little bit of landscape before we get into some of the discussion. These are the sources for all those documents. Um, just so if you want to reference more detail, they are very good sources of information, both the third-party logistics study and the uh, annual state of logistics report, which we use a couple of editions of for information to bridge one year from the other, provide very good deep information on what 3PLs are being asked to do, what they're doing well, and what maybe they're not doing so well. As a company, we have worked with all these clients and then some in the 3PL world. You'll notice there's both 3PLs, folks like Excel, now DHL, folks like Genco, now FedEx, folks like Geodis, still Geodis, um, and lots of users of 3PLs. We work on behalf of both because we're an independent project-oriented company, so we get a pretty good vision of what happens on both sides of the equation, and that's what we're hoping to share with you here today. We'll have a little bit of an executive summary, look at the state of the current 3PL market, look at how shippers and 3PLs kind of differ in how they view their relationship, talk about one new topic, which is the greening of the supply chain. Never thought we'd see a lot of that again after lead petered out, but it is becoming a bigger topic, but it's kind of an old topic with a new mask on it. And then how do I select that optimal 3PL provider or become one myself? So first off, just to recap where the industry has gotten to, partnerships between 3PLs and shippers, there's lots of them out there and they're growing and we'll talk about what's causing them to grow. But the 3PLs think they're 99% successful, the shippers think they're 93% successful. You're going to see that as a theme throughout all of the statistics you see. 3PLs think they're a little bit better than the shippers think they are. That's not abnormal. Doesn't mean that the shippers are right or the 3PLs are wrong or vice versa. It's a perception on what you think you're getting. Keep in mind, the shippers are the ones paying. The 3PLs are the one being paid. So the customer relationship there is kind of a one-way customer relationship. These numbers in brackets are from last year's information. So you can see how they've shifted a bit, both in a positive direction. How do, who contributes to the shipper's success? From the 3PL's point of view, 93% of them say they have a big contribution. From the shipper's point of view, 83%. And that's down from the previous year in both categories. Have they improved the shipper's effectiveness? 3PL says, yeah, 93% of the time. Shipper says, boo, two-thirds of the time. So they haven't improved the effectiveness. And then where are they at with IT? Is it important? Shipper thinks it's very important. Are they satisfied with it? No, another big disconnect. Something to kind of take note. Now, for a cross-section of where this information came from, because 3PLs service transportation, international logistics, domestic freight, warehousing, distribution, order fulfillment. So this gives you an idea of the complexion of the survey's outsourced information. Domestic transportation being the biggest, international follow is, is below that in transportation, warehousing tied with domestic transportation. 
Did they reduce overall logistics costs? 3PLs say yay, shippers say nay, at least a lot more frequently. Are shippers increasing their use of 3PLs? Well, only about half said they would be. 3PLs see a lot more business coming their way. That could be from a lot more shippers, too. Consolidating the numbers of 3PLs used. Do 3PLs see that? Yes, and the shippers are pretty close to it. And then shippers returning to insourcing, taking it back from the 3PL. 3PL says 43% of the time. Shipper, oddly enough, says even less. And then if you look at the study trends, logistics expenditures, percentage of logistics, there's been a mild trend upward across the table from flat to up. So what's that mean? Well, here's a little more graphic representation of it. Total logistics expenditures to outsourcing were slightly less at 52%. It's gone down a little bit, but transportation increased. So more money in general is going towards transportation and warehousing. I don't know that that's highly significant given the small movements that you've seen. And warehouse operations spend managed by 3PLs overall increased by 8%. That's one of the bigger numbers. That is not only an increase in spend, but it's an increase in complexity as we'll see in a little bit. What do they outsource when they outsource them? Domestic transportation, warehousing, international transportation are the top three. You could cast this information a little bit differently and bracket the next three, which are very often related. International transportation, customs brokerage, and freight forwarding. Put all three together, suddenly they're gonna be bigger than domestic transportation. So they are outsourced separately, but very often they're outsourced as a package, because if I gotta get it from point A, somewhere outside of the country, to point B, somewhere inside the country, I need all three of these services at the very least. IT, where are they using it? Transportation management planning, warehouse distribution center management. Providers are reporting seven out of every 10, shippers six and a half out of every 10, pretty close but then it just starts to decline dramatically from there. You'll notice last year's sexy buzzword, blockchain, bottom of the list. Maybe one day it won't be a buzzword. But the, the gap you saw on the previous page is a little more clear here. If you look at the IT capabilities necessary for the, uh, the necessary element of the 3PL, I want a 3PL who can do IT for me. That might mean bill payment, that might mean WMS, that might mean order management system, it might mean all the above or a slight flavor of each. But a user says, you gotta have the systems I need. Are they satisfied with the IT capabilities? Well, I, here's where I think you need it, and here's how happy I am with it. And this line is what we call the IT gap. It's the delta between what I want and what you're giving me. So you can see it's gotten better over the years. I mean, this goes back almost 20 years ago but it really hasn't jumped out where, okay, the IT gap is now nil. So there's still lots of opportunities for a 3PL to distinguish themselves with information systems, and it's a critical characteristic a user should look for as they're trying to figure out, is this 3PL the right partner for me? How do shippers view the IT capabilities that are needed? Here's how they rank them. Here's how the 3PL provider reports them. As you can see, there's a general disconnect with the shippers being below the 3PL almost consistently. Outsourcing versus insourcing. This is a trend for increasing outsourcing from 2018 to 2020. They didn't increase outsourcing as much. Insourcing increased mildly, 28%, 28%, 31%. And the reduction in the number of 3PLs is also another trend. 
we're starting to see clients say, I'm not going to keep two 3PLs even if my business is big enough to kind of play them against each other. One of them has won the day and they move more solidly with one 3PL to formulate a stronger partnership. Those tend to be more mature relationships where a level of trust has been built up with the 3PL. For non-users of 3PLs, why don't you use a 3PL? Why do you insource? I don't want to lose control. I'm afraid I won't get the cost reductions that I'm promised. More experience than the 3PLs is, is inside my four walls. I got professionals here. I'm Amazon. I might have a ability to distribute at least right once in a while. And I'm concerned about integration, information transfer and flow back and forth between my third party partner and myself, which I don't have to worry about now because it's all in-house by definition. This is a slightly new topic. Analytics are becoming a little more important or they're becoming a metric worthy of discussing relative to 3PL partner relationships. So when you look at shippers, what are they currently involved in analytics? And it's a very broad question. So a quarter of them, not at all, somewhat at another 40% and another 40% significantly. 3PLs, only 14% is not at all. They are more involved because they recognize it's a way they can sell themselves. Here's something else I can offer you that might differentiate me from my 3PL competition. The current involvement, the types of analytics they're involved in from the simplest descriptive process, diagnostic, what's wrong with this process, predictive, how do I deal with a different demand on this process, prescriptive, hey, this is what you're seeing coming down the road. It decides what your process is in terms of volumes, order complexion, et cetera. And then cognitive AI, where I guess you just go to sleep and the system runs itself. Um, most overused term in our industry, AI. I don't know that you can go out there on the floor and find any true AI. True AI is when a machine teaches itself. It learns, writes its own code, so to speak. We like to talk about AI. Oh, look, the robot can look at the case and figure out where to pick it up from. That's just because it's got a predetermined set of if-then conditions under which it will react a certain way. Looks like it's thinking, but throw something weird at it, like a ball, and it may not be able to deal with it. But marketing is what marketing does, so that's why we hear the term AI a lot. When you look at those categories, shippers and 3PLs are pretty much on the same trend, with 3PLs being a little deeper, as you might have expected from the first pie chart, but heavily into descriptive, well into diagnostic, good bit into predictive, eh, half of them are into prescriptive, and then any cognitive real AI learning down to nada. Whether they think analytics are most helpful, they tend to agree. And this is their top priority, on-time complete order fulfillment, shipment visibility, and then cost, transit time, which are somewhat interrelated, cost to serve, that's very close to freight cost shipments. But you'll notice on time and complete order fulfillment, number one. Shipment visibility, number two. That tends to enable that. If you've got good shipment visibility, you'll be on time more often. Where do they agree on analytics? Analytic capabilities are a necessary element of the 3PL experience. <laughs> got to have it. Okay, you don't have it, you're going to have a problem. Are they sat now, are you satisfied with the analytic capabilities? No. There's high dissatisfaction there. So it's a critical need that nobody's happy with. So if as a 3PL, you can demonstrate that you can really deliver, it's gonna increase your chances dramatically. As a user, 
look real sharp because a lot of people say they need it, but not a lot of people are getting it. And there's not a big disagreement there either. What are the problems with implementing it? Ability, availability of clean and useful data. A lot of the projects we do are based solely on data. This is a euphemism for they don't have any data. They've got no good coherent historical records. Don't even have an inventory snapshot at the end of every month. It's kind of hard to get into analytics to optimize an operation when you don't have the historical data that you can use to project detail into the future. So as a user, collect and warehouse your data so that it's accessible. Even if you don't need a 3PL, it'll service you well because you'll be able to figure out things about your operation that you wouldn't otherwise know. What are the problems with the analytics? Well, accuracy and completeness. Did I mention that there's not a good availability of clean and useful data? Therefore, accuracy and completeness will be one of the biggest problems. And there's no disagreement there. Availability of the data. Well, if there's no data, then there's no analysis. Therefore, you can't be pissed off about accuracy and completeness. But you have the same hole. You don't have accurate data. You don't have the ability to do anything analytical. You don't have the ability to sharpen your operation without shooting in the sky and hoping you hit a bird while you're looking down the street. This topic came up in all the surveys. It's the first time it's been a topic in probably 15 years in the 3PL surveys. Um, but it was interesting because I kind of moaned and rolled my eyes until I saw what it was really referencing. So first off, why are 3PLs or users of 3PLs asking for greener efforts? Public perception, regulation, cost savings. Hmm, regulation is number one. Public perception is number two. Cost savings is actually number three. What are they doing? Voluntary programs, alternative fuels, tracking and reporting emissions, optimization. Well, you see this route load consolidation, route optimization. This not only drives greening, it drives savings. And it drives cycle time reduction, both of which are desirable as well. Remember I said earlier it's kind of a, a new mask on an old desire? Optimization is being used to drive green initiatives. Alternative fuels, autonomous vehicles, optimization, and other. Optimization is larger than the other three put together on both sides of the equation. Both shippers and 3PLs have the current initiatives that are driving green ranked out like this. And the future initiatives look about the same. Alternative fuels go a little bit higher, autonomous vehicles not yet. As the technology changes, you might see these swap. But for now, that's where they sit in terms of how they view the future perspective. But you'll notice optimization, still the number one pursuit. We have clients now who want network studies, and they don't just want to know how much it's going to cost them and how many miles they're going to drive and what the cycle time is. They want to know what, how many tons of carbon they're going to put out in each network scenario. And surprise, surprise, the fewer miles you drive, the lower the cost is, generally, the smaller your carbon footprint. But that's another thing they can take to a government and say, look, our carbon footprint is down to X. How do they think they're going to get there? Well, look at that. 77% think they're going to get cleaner with optimization initiatives, 40% fuels, and 27% autonomous vehicles, which, no surprise, mimics the graph for what the initiatives driving those things are. How will they get there with vehicles of the future? Today, 
this is Bob, this is me in my car, or this is me in my car when I decide to turn on the lane departure system so I get that bad vibration whenever I start drifting off to the side, or it beeps at me when I'm not slowing down enough when there's traffic in front of me. But all the way here, full automation. The driver may have the option to control the vehicle, and that's kind of a lie. Full automation is taking a driver in the vehicle. Full automation is it leaves and it shows up wherever it's got to go, and it goes about its business on its own. This is probably the toughest bridge to break. If you're fortunate enough to go to the MHI spring meetings, there's actually going to be a speaker there, Missy. Um, I don't, I'm having a blank on her last name. It's what happens when you turn 55. But she spoke extensively um, at meetings earlier this year. She's a professor at, uh, at Duke University. She's a former fighter pilot. And she's an expert on, I call it pragmatic autonomy when it comes to vehicles and when it comes to transport devices. Pragmatic part, maybe there's somebody in a control room, not in the car, and that ultimately is the governor of the vehicle. Once we get to that point, then you'll start to see more of the full and high automation. Until then, remember what all the 3PLs and users have agreed. It's optimization initiatives that are gonna drive their greening efforts. So given all of that, how do I select a 3PL provider? How do I know they can provide my organization value? At some level, they should be able to do all these things for you. Or you should be able to do all these things for your prospective client. Make what seems complex simple. Demonstrate that IT capability that was really, really important. Provide a material handling technology evaluation for inside the four walls applications. Not provide automation. You'll notice, big noun here. This is your deliverable, an evaluation because automation isn't the right answer everywhere. Establish their ability to lead logistically, to think strategically with you. Personal preference on costing, particularly inside the four walls, start with a cost plus, show me your budget, show me everything, but then move to whatever type of alternative, gain share, per unit cost, per unit with a discount for volume you want to move to, but start with the realities. Every building, every transportation budget starts with a transactional requirement. If I do this this many times, it costs this. Make sure they can lay that out for you so that you understand it. And the good 3PLs, they can. And then they will stand on their ability to support continuous improvement. As they get to know you, they should get better. Familiarity shouldn't breed contempt, it should breed success. So when they simplify complexity, show me where you've done it before. And if you've done it before, you'll be able to make me understand it real easily. Demonstrate that IT capability. Do they have an internal WMS for the warehouse? Do they have their own TMS? Do they have your, maybe you're transitioning. Maybe they, if they use your WMS, that transition might be easier. It's a question to ask and a characteristic to look for. And they need to show demonstrable interface capability. Remember one of the big fears on why it didn't go outside? Communication and interface? That is a bona fide fear. That is one of the primary causes of failure early in a 3PL operation. Just can't get the information back and forth coherently enough. Provide that material handling evaluation. More equipment is not always better, but they need to show you that they've looked at alternatives to just throwing asses and elbows at it. Because not to insult any 3PLs, you make a lot more money when you just throw more labor at it because all that labor's got a markup on it. But you also want to make sure that you save enough labor to justify the CapEx on the equipment that's being put into the operation in the time frame of your relationship. And I'll touch on that in a moment. 
they need to be able to lead logistically, share the pricing method details. You should be able to see all this information and understand it about your 3PL's pricing based on the location, how the operation's gonna operate, how many shifts it's going to have, how they're going to staff it, meaning how they're going to actually execute the tasks so that you can be assured that they're using the most productive method possible given the circumstances, to what kind of volume they can do, what their limits might be, how high is high. You don't want to find out after you're in a relationship that when your volume doubles, the 3PL hit a ceiling at 1.5x. You want a demonstration of a, a capability early on. Can they support location analysis? Can they do a network study? Can they tell you if Cleveland is better than Columbus, is better than Cincinnati, is, is better than Fort Wayne for your customer base, for your sources of supply? Do they have the ability to do innovation? Can they show you a building that maybe has a lot of automation and was used for the right reasons? And can they meet the emerging service requirements of that analytics we talk about? Can they give you what you want that's gonna become more important in the future? Maybe it's not blockchain, given how low that was on the list, but maybe there are other characteristics in data analytics, greening, things that are important to your business. Make sure that they're important and they're capable in those areas. We already talked about starting with a cost plus or activity-based costing. Um, having come out of operations 35 years ago, I'm a big believer in show me the budget, which is based on how productive you're gonna be how much space you're going to need, how you're going to store my product, how much capital investment you're going to invest at what depreciable period. And here's the rub, and this is both, the 3PLs love when I say this, and the customer's going, eh. Your average, all this equipment out here, you can see tons of sexy equipment. Saves you millions of dollars in labor, costs you millions of dollars in CapEx. But if it saves you 10 million in labor and it costs you 10 million, you got a year payback. Everybody would jump at that. Well, most paybacks aren't a year. Most paybacks require three, five, six years before they pay back. Most 3PL contracts are between three and five years. So what you're doing is you're setting up a proposition where you're asking a, a 3PL to invest X amount of dollars so that they can get your business at a lower investment from you because the labor will be lower, but they need to then charge you for that CapEx over three years, which starts to make the financial arrangement wobbly. So there are a couple of strategies around that. Number one, sign a longer contract. 3PLs love that, I personally don't. The shorter the contract, the better the 3PLs should perform in order to get the contract renewed as time goes forward. Two, put in a, a divorce clause, or as Gwyneth Paltrow would have said, a conscious uncoupling clause, where if the contract is five years but the depreciable life on the equipment is seven, the user agrees that if they leave for no cause, we're not talking about breaches, they will make the 3PL whole in the last two years of that depreciation. On the other side, if you renew for another five, the depreciation runs out in two years. That means with the start of the third year of the second term, you as a user shouldn't get charged for the depreciation anymore. Don't overlook that because 3PLs are not gonna point it out on their own. So those are ways you can come to a mutual agreement that might allow for significant investment and benefit both sides of the equation. Standing on their ability to support continuous improvement. As they get to know you, they are the distribution professionals. They should be able to make you better. They should be able to cut down costs. Some of the better contracts I've seen and some of the more upfront 3PLs, we will guarantee a 1% relative decrease in cost outside of inflation. Inflation is going to come, wage rates have to go up. Outside of inflation every year just by making our processes better. 
Some even say over the course of the contract, it'll be between three and 5%. Some of that depends on the operation at hand, how simple it is, how easy it is to get it right when you start up as well. Clearly define the impacts to cost across the relationship. What happens if your volume goes up, if you, your inventory turns slower, um, if your storage profile shifts and you're not storing pallets, you're storing cases on shelving, if the order profile changes from full pallets to layers, from layers to cases, from cases to pieces. They might not happen to everyone, but the 3PL needs to tell you and you need to ask them what happens if I go from 50% pallet, 50% cases to 75% cases, 25% pallet. Costs are going to go up and they can be calculated. So at least you have an expectation of what those cost changes will be. Likewise, if for some strange reason, and this is very atypical, if you went from a lot of loose case picks to a lot of pallet picks, your cost should go down. Because moving a pallet out of a building is a lot easier than moving the 24 cases on that pallet individually, as I'm sure you all know. The best providers, and these aren't necessarily the largest, while cost is a consideration, and you can win a customer on court, low bid, hey, you're not going to keep them if you can't deliver. So lowballing a bid on the part of a 3PL is not wise. Just like I counsel some of my clients who are seeking a 3PL, yeah, their bid's low, but it's 50% low. Something's not right. Let's look at the detail of the bid. Let's compare where the money is missing and see if the, sometimes it's an honest mistake. Very often we'll turn back a bid in a 3PL. Oh yeah, I forgot to multiply by two. Okay. That makes me question whether or not I want them to service my client anyway. But they keep the client through exceeding the client expectations, which is somewhat a function of salesmanship and how much you sell upfront and how low you sell so that you got room for improvement. But it's also reality. Things should get better every year. Um, frequent meaningful communications. 3PO user, highly recommend that you have someone on site. If there's an operation of any significance, that you have a direct interface at your 3PL to answer immediate questions and show your investment in the relationship. This is not if you've got 5,000 square feet at a multi-tenant site. This is your Unilever, and you have six buildings across the country um, that are a million two each, and they're responsible for moving everything that is Unilever. Well, it's in your best interest to have a site rep so that you and a 3PL can be as close as humanly possible. A clear vision of your business requirements and impacts. A detailed RFP at the start of the relationship, which is when you go out to bid, is critical. Detailed information is critical. And I highly recommend that you give a 3PL, especially if your operation is complex, more than two weeks to bid. Because when you give them two weeks to bid, all they're going to do is pump it through their generic pricing model, layer on a safety factor, and hand it to you. And that's not what you want. You want somebody who's looked at your operation, said, I can add value here, and this is how I'm going to do it. But that needs some time, four weeks at a minimum. Highly recommend giving that 3PL four weeks for any operation of any significance or complexity. And they need to show a willingness to invest. Not to make the profit on the first three years of the contract, but to make a profit that's fair but set the relationship foundation up so that they're gonna renew that contract year after year after year, decade after decade after decade. That's what you want in a 3PL partner. Yeah. Both have to be committed. I've just talked about things that both the client and the 3PL need to be ready and willing to do. But my favorite quote, and this was from a 3PL who was giving a presentation many years ago. When my customer puts their head on their pillow at night, the last worry they should have is their distribution partner's ability, performance, and cost. 
And I think that's the right sequence too. I think you want a partner that is able to do everything you need, performs to demonstrate that they're able, and then their cost is in line with what the business can bear so that everyone comes out of the relationship fairly. Those are the most important things. But through PL Landscape, those are the components that go into these three items. And they shift a little bit every year, and that's why we update this every year. We keep our fingers on those surveys from the first slide. Um, don't ignore that kind of information because the three PLs and the service partners who react to that are going to react to your needs well as well. They're going to be responsive, and that's what you need. Just as responsive as if you were running the building yourself. That should be your expectation. So I told you I was going to finish in about a half hour. I'm almost spot on. If there are any general questions, I'll be more than happy to answer them. Otherwise, I will give you back 10 minutes of your day. All righty then, thank you. Have a great show, be safe, wash your hands.